Welcome to Making Waves, a program about sound art, produced by New Adventures in Sound Art. On today's show, we are going to look at um, two collections of soundscapes available on the internet. Uh, they're called Radio Apparee and Found Sounds. Uh, they both function in a way as apps, although Radio Apparee you can use a regular web browser to navigate it. But they're uh, kind of depositories of or collections of um, recordings of the soundscape. And by the soundscape I mean uh, everyday sounds, sounds that exist in the environment around you. And uh, Found Sounds is the uh, app uh, that runs on the iOS uh, devices such as iPads or iPhones, and that one is uh, uses those devices to record sounds and geotag them wherever you are and load them up. And then it also has features for collaging them and playing them back in different ways. We're going to talk to the two de- developers of those apps in today's show. And uh, those interviews are in connection with a... Um, Next week will be World Listening Day on the July 18th uh, for NASA, for New Ventures and Sound Art up in Toronto. We'll be celebrating World Listening Day on July 16th with uh, a concert uh, by three sound artists who will be creating work uh, drawn from those apps, Radio Apparee and Found Sounds. Those composers or sound artists are Victoria Fenner, Andrew Zuckerman, and David Jensenius. And the latter one, David Jensenius, is the uh, creator of Found Sounds, and um, Becca Sims from NASA spent some time with David talking about Found Sounds and his uh, work as a composer and programmer. So hi, David. Before I ask about the work you've done for our Listening Day concert, I wanted to ask you about your sort of artistic identity. So while you worked at Wesleyan, you were working in the technological sphere, but you also have a music degree from the same institution. And so to what extent do these two fields merge in your artistic practice? Uh, yeah, so I feel that they actually merge and overlap quite a lot. Uh, I still do work in the tech industry and uh, for each of my projects, I use you know technology um, in them. So with uh, my Found Sounds project, it's a mobile app, so it's using you know it's all custom programmed by me. Um, I also have a augmented reality uh, location-based sound game that I built with uh, two other artists named Lauren Burr and Mike Pr- Mark Pryor, um, and that's a you know again kind of using technology. Um, to kind of create these um, artistic visions that I have and that, you know, when I'm collaborating, collaborating with other people, um, you know, ideas that we have together as a group, kind of figuring out the best technology to use for it um, and then using it to realize our vision. So do you ever write purely acoustically or is there almost always technology integrated into your works? Um, Sometimes I write purely acoustical music, but at, at some point there's, um, I like to write a lot of process-based pieces, so setting up a system and sort of letting what uh, what happens emerge naturally. Um, so uh, with a long background in programming, um, 
I'll tend to have technology involved at, at some point along the process. But um, you know, I've I've written a string quartet uh, that's performed entirely acoustically, but all of the decisions were made using an artificial intelligence algorithm, for example. So. Ah, okay, that's really cool. Yeah. So you've been commissioned by NASA to write a new, what they're describing as a soundscape piece for the World Listening Day concerts. But then you've also developed the app that everyone else is using for their pieces. So you touched a little bit on the app Found Sounds, but could you tell us a little bit more about it, how it works exactly? Yeah, so um, the elevator pitches, it's a, it's an Instagram for sounds. Um, but I sort of uh, view it more myself as sort of this um, emergent, uh, massively collaborative uh, art project. So uh, the idea was I was wanting to record, you know, field like really short field recordings, sounds that I found sort of naturally interesting myself and sort of to have like a bank of them to either use or just listen to when I wanted to uh, listen to those recordings. Um, and I found that there was no real good app to do that. Um, so I, I built one myself and the idea of, of um, geotagging the sounds was really important because I wanted to see where where these sounds were recorded. Um, and so uh, from that, a few other ideas sort of naturally came about, which which are the really exciting parts of uh, found sounds to me. And that is the first one is you can open up a map on your device and you can see where all of the sounds, um, you know, you can just sort of scroll around the world and see where all the sounds are are and you can kind of pick individual ones and listen to them but it gets really fun because you can uh, hit this little button that says play collage and it'll start um, randomly selecting five sounds that are on the map and start sort of playing them collaged on top of each other creating this artificial geography of sound um, and it, it can sometimes sound quite natural uh, if, if a little busy um, but it's actually just like sounds from all over just sort of um, happening at once uh, the second part that really gets me excited um, with the idea of geotagging sounds is you can go for sound walks. So I live in Kitchener, Ontario, and um, a lot of the sounds, there's a lot of sounds here because I developed the app here. Um, so I can go walking down the street and hear um, like car horns from the last World Cup when um, when whoever won won and everybody was really excited um, along with construction sounds um, and, and or even just like kind of a quiet day sounds. Um, you kind of hear these all, all together. And as you approach where a sound used to be, it gets louder. And as you, you walk away, it, it fades off. And so, you know, this, instead of being a geographical collage, it's this, um, it's this temporal collage where you're getting historic sounds played with you along with the sounds that you you currently hear. Um, and a big part of this, uh, this component of it was that I will walk around town a lot of times listening to podcasts on, on just really um, poor quality headphones, mm -hmm. uh, like the standard earbuds that come with, with any device. And so as I'm walking around, like a bus will come uh, by and it'll be just drown out of everything that I've heard. And I've learned to sort of accept with the fact that I'm not going to be able to hear everything that's being said on the podcast or, or like that little five seconds of music as the bus was drowning everything out. Um, and I thought that that was just really an, uh, an interesting way to experience uh, the found sounds where um, the sounds that are happening in real time can just completely obliterate um, the sounds that you're, you're hearing historically through your, uh, through your headset. Yeah, that's really cool. 
Um, so how do you think sort of active users of Bound Sounds utilize the app? Do you think it's mostly used for artistic purposes or maybe people sort of you know, connecting to uh, a place that they remember, you know, feeling connected through like a sonic geography? I think, uh, you know, I was really wondering what would happen when I released it, what what people would do with it. Um, you know, I was worried that that all I'd get would be recordings of Justin Bieber concerts or something. <laughs> um and it's instead, it, and and that would have been totally fine. I would have loved to hear this this collage of Justin Bieber music. Um, but what happened instead uh, is that people are kind of using it in the way that I would uh, use it, where they're either you know recording a short bit of, like you know possibly a concert um, or practicing uh, possibly someone practicing something, or just even memories. So you know lots of uh, recordings of trains or just the natural environment really you know, birds. So getting a lot of the, the sort of field recording aspect of it has really been coming through with how a lot of users are using it. And has it had much of an international um, user base or is it mostly still in Canada, North America? Uh, yeah, it's it's had quite a, a nice international base. There's a bunch of uh, users in Europe that have been using it. There's a number of people um, in South America that are using it and a number of uh, people in Asia. So it's it's had, um, you know, it's not uh, hugely popular, but it's it's definitely kind of had a spread all over the world, and that's what's sort of exciting about kind of opening up the map and seeing like there's some there's some sounds in Hawaii, and I can I can listen to a rainstorm in Hawaii, or or here's someone in the Netherlands who's singing a song to their toast, and I can listen to them <laughs> singing a song to their toast, um, and it's really uh, so it's it's getting that sort of impact, and it's I don't know who the users are, I'm not. Uh, I haven't reached out to contact any of them. I'm just sort of um, listening as people uh, bring sounds to, you know, to that environment. Okay. So, I mean, obviously it would be difficult to track who's using the app for what. Um, although to me, it seems like it, it holds a great potential for, for creating sound art. And I guess there's no real way to know if people have used the app to make pieces in the past, right? Uh, right. That's correct. So um, with a recent version uh, before, when you'd record a sound into the app, you could kind of play it back into, um, you know, if you wanted to reuse the sound, you could plug a, you know, plug a recorder into the headphone jack of your phone. But now, um, actually, allow exporting of sounds. So um, users, when they record a sound, they can flag it as free use um, under a Creative Commons license, and that's um, by default on to kind of encourage the idea of sharing these. And so. Um, anybody who's marked their sounds as, as for use, uh, you can download them, you can export them and, and use them for however you want. So I haven't heard of people using the sounds for other things, but it, it's certainly possible. Awesome. And so part of what we're doing for our World Listening Day with these four new pieces that are being presented is that um, the artists have had to use either your app, Found Sounds, or uh, Radio Appery, which is by Udo Noll. Um, so <laughs> I'm going to ask you, did you use your own app or did you use Udo's app? Uh, I used my own app <laughs> uh, because I was most familiar with the sounds there. So, yep. That's very fair. Um, so could you tell us about the piece that came sort of from the app and how the commission came about with NASA? Uh, sure. So I, I know uh, Darren through just um, uh, just his colleagues and uh, have been talking with him about, a, about another project and um, shared with him my Found Sounds project. And so he came to me. Um, very interested in in found sounds and wanted to um, talk with me about 
possibly having me write a piece uh, using uh, using the sounds from Found Sounds to um, to basically write a piece for World Listening Day. So uh, I'm really excited to uh, finish working on that <laughs> and um, and and kind of hear what happens. So okay, so the piece is sort of still in progress. Yeah, yeah. So the piece is called "I Can Hear for 100 Miles." Um, and I basically want to be kind of focusing on, um, uh, exploring two different areas sort of at the same time, um, almost as if you're, uh, you have one year in one city and one year in the other city and, uh, you're sort of walking around, um, listening to these two places simultaneously. So, um, and yeah, that's sort of the, the basis for the piece. Okay. So. With that in mind, did you have sounds kind of in mind that you were going to look for with the app or were you sort of more open to exploring, you know, geographically and then kind of discovering? Yeah, I'm definitely more interested in, in sort of the discovery aspect where, um, again, kind of going back to the idea of the process, uh, process-based uh, composition where uh, I'm really interested in um, experimenting and if things... Uh, don't go right. They, they can, that can be interesting in itself. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's definitely sort of more about discovery to me than about, um, like putting the pieces in a row. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I, I feel like how you've described the app would make sort of a discovery based process really fruitful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I also noticed that you described your works as being sometimes sonically challenging listening experiences, <laughs> yep. <laughs> which I think is very interesting. Um, is this going to be true for your new piece, you think? Uh, I think it depends on the audience. <laughs> that's, um, yeah, that's very fair. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's, it's again, it's not going to, um, it's going to be purely just, uh, there's going to be no augmentation to the sounds that have come in from Found Sound. So it's purely going to be, um, the sounds that were recorded by um, by the users of the system. So it's going to be using, you know, the low quality microphones that were on their phones, and there'll be um, uh, short-ish sort of field recordings and sounds. And um, and so if people, I guess, are not accustomed to listening to experimental music or um, um, or even you know field like just listening to um, several minutes of field recordings sort of on their own. Uh, that could be challenging, but um, if an audience is used to that, then then I think it'll be hopefully enjoyable. Yeah, I think World Listening Day usually has a pretty eclectic audience that are very open just the concept of listening. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm pretty sure it'll you know it'll be okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So what impact has mobile and networked technology sort of had on you as a sound artist? I mean, what we have access to technologically and, and digitally, especially, is sort of constantly changing. So the longer people have been working, sort of the more their, you know, the means of their work itself have sort of changed. Have you noticed that with yourself and, and the changing of, of technology? Um. That's a that's a difficult question to answer. Um. I feel. Um. You know, working in the in the tech industry uh, for as long as I have, um, and being a, a programmer by trade, um, you know, it's always tempting to go and get the latest technology, um, or or get this latest sort of gadget and uh, use it for a piece. Um, and I find that any time that I'm I'm sort of tempted by uh, by that, I find that that I I say no. Um, I have to. 
rather come up with with the idea with the with the concept first and then use the technology that best suits that concept um, so with something like found sounds or um, the hat engine project which is the augmented reality sound game um, those projects wouldn't be possible without you know phones with uh, microphones and um, speakers and uh, GPS location and compass and all of these really fancy things, they wouldn't be possible without that technology. But I think the idea and the concepts of, of, of doing those works would have existed kind of before the technology. So um, I, I guess that's a really roundabout way of, of <laughs> answering your question. Um, uh, but it certainly has changed what I'm able to do. Um, but I try hard not to be like, um, you know, here's the newest Raspberry Pi. What, what can I do with that? Um, I rather kind of want to have something conceptually strong and then figure out if it's possible. And then if it's possible, execute it as, as well as I can. Okay. So you start from concept and then move on to how to execute it afterwards. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. I've been talking to some, some not older composers, but, you know, composers with like decades long careers you know people approaching 60 years old and to hear them talk about the way that their um their process has changed is it's pretty monumental because people mm. you know they go from working with literal tapes oh yeah to, sure. <laughs> to digital audio workstations um i mean it's the the landscape has changed extensively although you know for some people i mean i mean i'm not sure how old you are but i assume you were sort of you were sort of born in an era where digital was becoming a thing, right? It, it's not like you were ever sitting down working with tapes. No, no, I wasn't. I mean, I was born in um in '79, so uh, you can figure out the math. <laughs> but uh, but but certainly back, uh, you know, in in high school, um, sort of the four track recorder was was the dream, right? Um, the four track tape recorders. Um, but then, sort of as uh, you know, going through undergraduate and graduate school, it just uh, those things just sort of um, ceased being useful in, I think, the way that they were traditionally uh, viewed as useful um, and sort of became um, uh, in uh, interesting objects in themselves and, and things to explore in other ways. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so I took a listen to a couple of your audio samples that are on your website. Uh, one of the works I listened to was DCENTW version 1.0. <laughs> yes, uh, that's, a, that's an old one. Yep. <laughs> Um, I find it I find it really interesting because it's obviously informed and shaped quite literally by translating technology into sound in this case email but the end result is is really quite musical like there's some foreground things happening very occasionally that are melodic mm -hmm. I'm just wondering does this sort of um, musical language often kind of happen in your work uh, it, it does and it does in accidental ways um, and I think that's what I um, you know, again, with the, with the process-based pieces, I'm really interested in, in sort of being as much a person who's experiencing the music as the rest of the audience. Um, so with, uh, with those earlier sonification pieces, they were um, you know, largely sound installations that would just you know, take in all this, this data, um, do some slight uh, transformations to make it into something sonic, and sort of you're, you're just experiencing this thing. And sometimes... Um, Maybe it would sound more musical than other times, um, but it was always sort of it's always been my interest to just sort of see what happens, see what see what I'm listening to, and then maybe 
kind of grasping onto these moments that are more interesting than other moments and sort of forming these memories of those sounds and they might, you know, be there for a second and then gone because it's, you know, this ongoing sound installation of unpredictable data. So it makes those moments where there are these sort of melodies that kind of come out even more special because it's a happy accident. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I like that. And another thing I noticed about um, several of your of your works as well is that a lot of them seem to feature drones. Mm-hmm. Is that something that appeals to you especially, or is it, again, it just a result of, of process-based music? Um, I think it's, it's a result of process-based music, um, but also probably a bit of my own personal taste coming through there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wrote this piece a number of years ago called uh, Fragility, and it's a feedback piece where... Um, I set up six identical guitars and six identical amplifiers um, and put the guitar right up to the amplifier like the rock musicians do at the end of the concert to like get that last little bit of feedback. But that was the entire piece. So the piece was just uh, six guitars resting against amplifiers. And I'd walk around the room um, and just sort of slightly change the tone gauges of the amplifiers. And all of the standing waves in the room would mean as you're walking, uh, as you're moving through the space, instead of if you're just sitting down, you don't kind of get the full experience of sort of walking out and exploring the space. Um, and that was one of these pieces where I'd always wanted to to use feedback as a as a form of drone, as a form uh, as a form of of sound in music, and kind of finding a way or finding an idea uh, to to utilize to do that. So um, you know, these drones and noise and that sort of stuff is, uh, you know, that's a little bit of the personal aesthetic kind of coming into the process. So it's not, um, it's not this pure only process-based thing. Um, you know, there is certainly some aesthetic decisions that sort of come into the, the building of those pieces. Well, I feel like even, even the most process-based music, I mean, it always sounds different from piece to piece. And I think putting our own aesthetic values into that is, is important. Absolutely, yeah. Personalizes things in a, in a good way. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm very much looking forward to the World Listening Day concert and excited to see what um, Found Sounds sort of digs up in terms of your piece. Yeah, me too. All right, it was nice talking to you, David. Yeah, thank you. Okay. That was David Jensenius in conversation with Becca Sims. And in the background... Uh, if we bring it up a bit, you'll hear some of the sounds of uh, rain as uh, we're recording uh, this. This is real time, so with these apps you can go out and record your own environment around you. And uh, Radio Apparee is one where um, there's lots of high quality recordings. Um, But right now we're going to just listen to uh, sort of the tail end, I hope, of a thunder shower here in uh, my home in the South River.
So one of those apps is Radio Apparee, and it's uh, made by Udo Noll, and I had the pleasure of talking to him earlier today. And uh, Udo is a primarily a rec- sound recordist, but he got into programming um, uh, things as he got interested in net art. Um, and uh, Radio Apparee is an incredible collection of uh, soundscapes from around the world. Uh, makes for great listening, but also just just as important to contribute sounds from your local area to it. And on World Listening Day on July 18th, uh, there'll be a special collection uh, of uh, sounds from that particular day. And you can even visit uh, previous World Listening Days to hear uh, the sounds that uh, were collected. This year the theme is um, Sounds Lost and Found. And so uh, Udo urges people to uh, revisit uh, sounds uh, from their past uh, and uh, hear them in a contemporary context. But here's my interview with Udo Noll about Radio Apparee. I've never been a web designer. <laughs> All what you can see is handmade, of course, but um, I never worked as a as a web designer and um, or programmer. I only use programming and all these things for for this project, um, for my personal things. Um, I there I would say there there are two or three streams from the past, which where it comes from, and one important one is um, my artistic work since the mid '90s. About on um, well, it was in the context of net art. And um, so in the mid-90s, 1995, about, I started with others, um, kind of research group on, how can I say, it was about, we were fascinated on on the possibilities and the existence of the internet uh, and how it relates to our real body experience and um, our real life, you know, and um, so to find out what the qualities and dimensions of these spaces were, um, that was for me one of the main questions uh, on these works. So we we worked uh, with kind of experimental cartographies, uh, we created maps out of books, um, we made them interactive, um, we found kind of um, visuals for that, but it was very often related to real places and with traveling, so we one project was rather big one was called a description of the equator and some other lands. Um, so this was connected to a series of travels along the equator, actually, you know, in uh, Asia and Africa. And um, so we created storybooks, block-like structures, um, content management, experimental tools for for making a kind of continuous diary of our travel, which was not so easy in 1996 uh, to get connected everywhere. Um, <laughs> <but it's, laughs> yes, yeah, the street here is interesting. Um, so this kind of uh, um, sensing the these environments, you know, real and virtual ones, uh, that was uh, very in, important for me to get an idea what how media and geography correlates or where they connect, um, what kind of 
tensions there are, how, where we are within these different landscapes. And these questions which um, came out of these kind of artistic research projects, they were very interesting. And in the end, um, it, um, well, the other important stream is radio. I'm, I, I'm really into radio, old school, new forms. Um, just preparing um, a radio festival. No, I don't prepare it. I'm invited to participate, so I'm preparing workshops in in autumn in in Germany. And um, so I, I I'm a radio lover since I can think, I guess. Right. <laughs> and the old radios from from the heyday of radio, you know, these big tube receivers, um, uh, as my grand parents had it at home. It was amazing. I was I spent hours in front of that uh, checking this. Big tunes where you could read all the names of cities and um, and when you when you when you turn the dial the the sounds change you know in kind of languages I could not understand but it was fascinating to listen to that so that was I think the first sound map <laughs> and um, in a way these things connected um, I always found this media. Space is interesting. The this connectivity between media geographies and me within all that, you know. So and um, radio on the one hand, and the my personal discovery of the internet on the other hand, that somehow felt similar for me. So it was quite at some point it was quite natural in a way for me to to connect it and. Um, I was not so much into field recording. I had a recorder, mini disc recorder, and also a tape recorder, but I used it not so intensively as I did later. But um, I worked very early with radio, with internet streaming, and um, then this recording became more and more important. Before 2006, uh, or five, um, it um, it was difficult to do such a thing because there was no map you could use. So Google Maps was the first one which was really usable for um, for projects. You could do this mashup projects, you know, that you could use a map as a background and put your information on it. Mm -hmm. So this um, this was at, at, when this popped up on the internet and the first project showed up. So I was quite fascinated because of it because of its availability and the possibility you had with it. How do you find the way you listen different when in a mediated situation, whether it be radio or over the internet or over a recording you made versus actually being there? Do you, do you find what is the difference from um, your attention or your experience of sound? Um... Hmm. I would I would say it's <laughs> um, when I go out well and do some so really dedicated um, when I go out to a place on a trip where I want to make recordings um, let's say the best situation which can happen is is the kind of um, resonance situation, a um, situation where I get in a kind of contact with my immediate surroundings, with the place I am, 
and um, so it gets kind of responsive situation in a way. So it, so it needs some times and it doesn't always work. But if you're there, it's a kind of synchronization with things happening there. And listening is the key to it. And But also looking around, of course. But um, listening to what's around me, then maybe shifting attention. And that's a whole process of uh, kind of very... <laughs> Con contemplative is the right word um, it's uh, yeah the, the, res the resonant situation I may get in in such a situation is very important that's quite uh, an intense experience the recorder is sometimes well of course I'm going out to take recording and bring it back also to to put it on, on the sound map um, not every recording but a lot of them um, but sometimes I have the feeling that it's uh, it even would work without the recorder, you know, that you go out and um, that you get a deep sense for these topographies where you are always a part of. Um, that's really sharpened my sense for what's around me. Um, this this feeling, of course, I don't have when I listen to in a mediated situation, for example, here in my little studio or on other places on the radio that's a more distant experience i listen then to other qualities probably to also the quality of the sound and i try to identify things and of course on my recordings i am critical to, it's a kind of critical listening in terms of technical quality also if i listen to other things it's um it's a clear dis clear um, it's a distance. I well, not distance, not the right word. Can be very immersive, but um, let's say if I listen to other things, and that's an experience which I made um, quite a lot on on since I started Radio Apuri. It's um, it's these kind of imaginary landscapes which which the sound may create in your head, and um, you f you hear familiar things which you always try to relate and identify but you have never you have never been there at that place so what it creates is a kind of in-between nice um, geographic hallucination or imagination and um, this is something I really like when I listen to when I listen to uh, mediated recordings and that's only then it doesn't happen when I'm out in, in, at, at, on site does that Mm -hmm. Answer your question. Yeah, I mean, um, and then with the recordings that are uh, contributed to the to Radio Paris that are made by other people in locations that you don't know, yes. uh, so do you find that to be a uh, meditative uh, listening experience when you're when you're dis disassociated with the location. Well, as I said, it's it's this um, yeah meditative musical sometimes it's um, usually I listen in a quiet situation this is um, it's also important so my surrounding here so I... are there are there qualities that are important in a soundscape recording in order to convey something about a place that somebody won't know but that, that can be conveyed in the recording are there certain things that ways of approaching it that are more successful than others Yes, for me definitely. Um, um, however, I'm not. I'm quite open. This is something I've learned over the years because um, of these many 
contributions from others um, so you sometimes you 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 recognize kind of um, signature in a way how people approach place and what they record so when I listen well I don't listen to all of the recordings but but most of them I think and um, so you really recognize um, uh, serious or, or kind of style and this is beautiful because um, some of these um, the contributors are sound artists others are well, individuals with some specific interest um, sometimes workshops but if somebody works for over a while um, over a long term on in a specific way that's then you you really get known to this kind of approach and you recognize what he or she is interested in and this uh, this is um, this can carry me away this is interesting in a way that uh, how should I explain it's, um, it uh, it makes a connection it, it makes a connection to the places I don't know to that person which I may know or not depends on with a lot of them I'm in contact and um, quite some have met personally also so but it gives um, it gives a strong relation in this and the and the glue in between is this this the recordings this person made so this is um, not only the let's say the quality or the beauty or the um, of of the recording itself but also what's what's the these qualities which create over longer time of course, there are recordings which are immediately intriguing because it's, they, are, they sound great. So I always like echo spaces, for example, um, something where you have sound travels and you can hear that, you know, if it comes from afar and it changes and interweaves with other sounds. So I personally like this quite a lot more than, let's say, the sound effect recordings of details or so. Well also nice ones but um so but what, what i really like on the on this long-term project is that you that you see also how others approach place and um how they listen what are they interested in and uh, this gives quite some this makes contact and very often also personally that's quite good are there a lot of differences from the contributions you receive from different parts of the world? Uh, are there yeah. tendencies that happen in North America that wouldn't happen in Europe and or in Asia? Or hmm. that's difficult to say because many people. Um, I'm not always sure if this, the people who contribute are original from that place. You know, mm. um, so it may happen that that. Um, it happens quite often that people or sound artists are traveling around and so they are in different place and then you get it from there. So I don't know if it's something which you, where you can see or hear origin. Mm. So some of those regular contributors then seem to develop a signature of their approach um, that's, that's um, different or that, that remains consistent no matter where they where they're located, whether they're in Africa or Europe or yeah. yes, that feeling I had here and there, of course, um, 
yes maybe it has to do with how are you how you have trained yourself you know and then think and, and the experience that it's quite difficult if you go for a short time to a different distant place um to to really get into it so that's always my problem um that i that i'm always arrive as a tourist and um, you have no you, you don't see the details you're overwhelmed of what you see and so in the beginning of these travels it's something i've seen on on some contributions is uh, it always sounds touristic you know maybe no no mm -hmm. nobody who lives at a specific place in asia would do that recording but you but the the, the traveler does it because he's uh, it, it's exotic or it's um, interesting to him or her and um, and um, maybe sounds exceptional but it's maybe pretty normal for for someone who lives there so this kind of normal relations you know you you hear that i wouldn't say that that uh, the people make the same recordings here and there but um so interest like if somebody's interested in details or if he's interested in social situations or interested in this um more soundscape wide open so recording the air or something like this you recognize these kind of things and how someone does it. Also a technical quality, some are really careful, others are more of the point and shoot type that they have a little recorder and um, they, so you recognize these kind of things. It's, um, that's what I would call a signature. On July 18th on the World Listening Day, how would one make a contribution to Radio Opery? Um Everybody, which is every recording which is made on that day and uploaded uploaded to the sound map, um, will automatically go to to the um, world listening project page. That's um, dedicated sound map and um, only with recordings from that specific day. So it's the seventh time I think now, and um, so every year has its own little sound map, some are more or less uh, populated with sound, depends on the contributions. But just go to uh, on, to the Apore website and upload, or you can go to the dedicated um, project page, page, which is actually the same, it's just another view. Okay. So go to the Apore sound map on that day or, or whenever you want and upload recordings from that day and it will go there. For this year, it's um, since uh, the theme is sounds lost and found, and it's also about how sound on places changes, um, I suggested to the colleagues on, on, the, on the world listening mailing list also that um, they may check the map for recordings from previous years and they may maybe or i suggested to go there and visit the same place even if it's the recording you have made or some someone else has made and just go there and and make a recording and put that on the same spot you can have many recordings at the same spot and um, so it would nicely document maybe acoustic change at that place it's a simple way but it's uh, i found that it's it's very interesting if you do that over years mm -hmm. here in my neighborhood in berlin there are there's a place where about 300 recordings and just one red dot and it's from a person who goes there regularly and um, only makes only a two-minute recording but what you can hear within the last eight years or so is that, uh, that the whole how's the whole area changed the, right. the, the single recording is not so 
interesting it's just uh, what's there you know nothing special but if you zoom through these recordings hundreds of recordings over years you hear how the complete neighborhood has changed all the process of gentrification and population app change and all that it's quite nice so this comes from a long-term practice mm -hmm. yeah i think that's an important aspect of uh, soundscape recording is the is that it's a um, it's a long-term um occupation for that for lack of a better word uh that that the story is told over a period of time not just what was uh, what occurred in that instant yeah. Um, yeah that's why i keep um i do everything to keep up this project forever <laughs> and i team also with other institutions like archive.org to preserve the sounds and all these things um i think its qualities are I don't know, it's, it, it comes over years. It's not about sensation, it's about, I don't know, dedication. You're listening to Making Waves. That was my conversation with Udo Noll about Radio Apri in conjunction with World Listening Day coming up on July 18th. And then here in Toronto, we're going to be a couple of days early on July 16th with a performance uh, at the Canadian Music Centre where... Uh, sound artists Andrew Zuckerman, Victoria Fenner, and David Jensenius will be creating pieces from Radio Apri as well as from David's app Found Sounds. Um, to close off uh, for today, we're going to listen to some sounds from Radio Apri. This is a recording that Udo made of the Shri River in Berlin for last year's World Listening Day, which had a kind of a theme of water.
So thank you for listening. This has been Making Waves. I think we have uh, a few nanoseconds here for one more recording. Here's Botanical Gardens, recorded uh, just last June 30th at the University of Lisbon in Portugal. This was recorded by Flavian Gillet.